When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gents, a special Olympic edition of Off the Post. I'm John Mattis, your host, as always. Uh, today I'm joined by Rob Longley, my colleague at Post Media. Uh, he works for the Toronto Sun and the entire chain. He is over in South Korea covering both the men's and the women's hockey tournaments. Uh, me and Rob had a hell of a time trying to set this up between uh, our schedules, uh, the 14-hour time difference, and just confusing each other uh, in terms of uh, when we could, when we were available. And also some tech issues. Our phone lines were screwed up, so we tried an alternative way of recording. If you're listening to this right now, we have deemed uh, the audio quality uh, worth it. So... Um, it may not be perfect, but uh, if, if, it's, if you're listening to this, it's good enough. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Some good insight from Rob and I, I think some pretty good discussion. Um, as usual, follow uh, Off The Post on iTunes. Uh, it's Just type it in, Off The Post. We're also on SoundCloud, Google Play, and uh, a variety of other places, including Stitcher. So uh, keep, keep yourself subscribed so that... Uh, I don't have to do so many of these sort of uh, messages. And also follow me on Twitter. It's M-A-T-I-S-Z-J-O-H-N. And uh, here we go. Rob Longley. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. Here with Rob Longley, live from South Korea, we're recording this uh, in a different way than I usually record podcasts, so this may end up not even seeing the light of day, but fingers crossed, uh, Rob is via phone in South Korea on the ground covering men's and women's hockey. Rob, it's been a long, long time coming. Not only have we uh, gone through the ringer in terms of trying to schedule this with the 14-hour time difference, but also some tech issues, and it's episode 79 and we're finally connecting for the first time. What's up? Well, here's the thing. I'm I'm fairly confident, I don't know if you are, that the quality will more than make up for the quality of the interview will more than make up for the quality of the connection. So <laughs> let's get it going. Okay, awesome. Um, so my first question is, it's actually non-hockey. Can you describe the thing that I'm looking at on your Twitter page right now? It looks like some sort of sausage that you purchased. Well, one of the things about uh, Korea is a great e- eating country, first things off. It's uh, tons of good restaurants, great Korean food, Korean barbecue, all kinds of good things. The problem is once you get inside an Olympic venue or any of the Olympic facilities, the options uh, go on a quick downturn. And uh, most of the media venues that I've been at, um, the best you can get is a tuna sandwich or a box of cookies or... Um, a salad or their famous grilled sausage, which is what the picture is on my Twitter account. Now, here's the thing. It's neither a sausage nor is it grilled. It doesn't <laughs> come with a bun, so what good is that? <laughs> this is some false advertising, but I guess it's better than uh, forking down a, a box of, of cookies as your, your breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I suppose. <laughs> Slim tickets, though. 
Exactly. So, let, anyways, let's talk about this uh, men's Olympic team. Uh, we don't want to get too much into the game-by-game game because right now as we're recording this, it is Friday at 10.30 a.m. in Toronto. Um, you're going to go to bed eventually and then wake up and cover uh, the, their second game against the Czech Republic. I guess first off, uh, just big picture, are you getting a genuine vibe from these guys, the guys on Team Canada, that it's sort of unbelievable that they find themselves in this place in South Korea playing for Canada at the Olympics? Yeah, John, the whole vibe and the whole mood of the, of the, of the, of the this men's team has, has shifted, uh, and, and in a good way. Um, when they got here, a good chunk of them, actually, actually almost to a man of the 25 players on the roster, they were sort of incredulous that they were actually here. You know, there were some good hockey players, some guys who had some decent NHL careers, but never would have been in contention to play in, in an Olympic Games. Maybe a world championship, but not an Olympic Games. So, so the whole idea of them being here and, and competing in the Olympics and trying to win a third consecutive gold medal for Canada seemed so surreal to them that they didn't know what, what, what was hitting them. Um, they, were, they were really wide-eyed, looking at their surroundings and just getting used to the whole vibe. And then came the opening ceremony where they marched in with the other athletes. And to a man, that was the coolest thing they've done in their sporting lives, pretty much. So, so they got over that, and then they, then they finally got settled here in, in uh, Pyeongchang and the, the Gangyang region where the, the men's tournament is being played. Had a couple practices, and then yesterday they played their first game. And I think that was a very important thing for them, to get on the ice and, and really get the jitters out and, 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 and build some confidence because – a lot of these guys have been in touch with NHL players back home, including several previous Olympians. And, and it's very clear to them that the whole country is going to be watching. And the last thing they want to do at this point, even though they might not be considered gold medal favorites, the last thing they want to do is disappoint a uh, disappointed nation. So that first game against Switzerland last night was, was really big for them on multiple levels because they wanted to get out there, get the jitters of the whole Olympic environment out, and prove that they could compete with the, with the other teams in the tournament. And when they scored a goal, when Lene Borg scored a goal two minutes and 57 seconds into the game, I think that was a huge weight lifted not just off of him, but the entire bench. I think, I think the weight was officially lifted off, though, when they scored their third goal, because the day earlier, the U.S. and the Olympic uh, athletes of Russia, I'm just going to call them Russia uh, from now on, yeah, Russia and the U.S. <laughs> lose to Slovenia and Slovakia, in the two opening games of the tournament, it's absolutely shocking. And I guess the main takeaways from those two games were that the dominant teams had two-goal leads. Like, it wasn't like, you know, they they allowed the opening goal and just couldn't come back. It was like, no, they let it slip away. So with Canada, that was something I was watching for. How do they handle uh, when they have the two-goal lead? And I realized that every team's different, and uh, maybe it was just a fluke that, that those two, uh, Russia and, and the U.S., uh, gave up two goal leads in the same day, but you know if, if you're Canada and you're watching the, the first the first day of uh, competition, you're going, we don't want to be those guys. We need to finish the job against the Swiss, and they ended up doing that. Yeah, you know, in a strange way, I think so. The way that the Russians and the Americans uh, both blew their leads and lost their opening games actually eased a little bit of the pressure on on on, on some of the Canadians rather than going the opposite way. They figured this tournament's going to have some upsets, so. So let's be ready for it. Let's try not to make it us, of course. But, um, you know, the consensus going in was that it was a pretty wide-open affair. And if, if there was a favorite, it was only going to be a slight favorite, and that was Russia. And there they go and lose their opener. Um, so 
Yeah, once they got that three-goal lead and, and continued to play hard, they regressed a little bit in the third period, I thought. I don't know what you saw, but I think they just sort of eased off the throttle a little bit, and, and, and Coach Willie Desjardins was a little bit concerned about that. But pretty much by that point, the game was out of reach, and, and they were confident and, and, and a sense of relief to get that game under their belt. But there was also a sensation that they got from the game, too, that I found was really neat, and I talked to a handful of the players uh, after practice or earlier today, and, and it stemmed from uh, some comments from some of the Swiss players after the game. Basically, said they said, you know, we didn't know the faces necessarily on the other side. Yeah. Um, we knew that it wasn't a Sidney Crosby or a Drew Doughty or a Carey Price. But once the game started, we really knew that we were playing a Canadian hockey team. There's something about, you know, Canadian hockey teams internationally, when they put that sweater on and have that maple leaf on their chest, they play in a different manner, a very fierce manner, a very hard-driving manner. And when I talked to the players about that today and mentioned those comments, they said, you know, that's exactly what happened. We really have a sense of pride, and we know how to play hockey Canadian style, and we figure if we play 60 minutes hard of hockey Canadian style every night, we're going to have a chance to win any game that we're in. And I thought that was really neat that that, that, that sort of sensation galvanized them and, 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 and certainly gives them a little bit of confidence uh, going into the next game tomorrow against the Czech Republic. I'm going to just say tomorrow and yesterday, but I have no idea what day it is here. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try to keep that puzzle uh, to someone else to figure out the time differences. We've had trouble dealing with that, you know, through email. But you bring up an interesting point because Hockey Canada, as, as everyone knows, has all the resources in the world, um, you know, maybe up there with, with USA Hockey and maybe the Russians or, or when it's Swedes and Finns, where, you know, at the U-17 level, 18, 20, um, you know, the, men, the men's senior team, like, they're always going to have very good managers. They're, they're always going to have very good coaches. They're never going to have travel issues. Like, all that's going to be taken care of. So, at the end of the day, uh, even though the, the players might be different on all these teams on at all these different levels, there's sort of like a professional uh, – I guess vibe to, to to Team Canada, no matter where they go, and and that 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 includes the women as well. It's just, if I guess it's ingrained in in this Hockey Canada quote unquote program of excellence, where uh, I guess the baseline is so high, the standard is so high that when you throw a bunch of cast offs, which essentially is what uh, this team is, uh, some very good players uh, in the NHL back in the day, but when you throw them all together, they still have that structure. They still have really Desjardins, a, an NHL quality coach as their coach. They still have Sean Burke, a, a good hockey mind as their GM, and Marty Brodeur is there. And, and you go down the list, like the, the wealth of, of knowledge is always present. Yeah, and I've been very impressed with the way that they've they put things together. Sean uh, Sean Burke, in particular, he was the one who headed the uh, the whole idea, the whole scouting program, the blueprint for for selecting players. And uh, you know, let's walk through that a little bit. Uh, um, they made it clear, management in Hockey Canada made it clear that anyone who wanted to play in the Olympic Games had to be playing hockey somewhere in 2017-2018. So they talked to a number of players, including Rene Bork, who scored, of course, scored two goals in the opener, as late as late summer, and said, listen, man, we'd love to have you. Three things. One, you're going to have to find a place to play. Mm-hmm. Two, we're not going to hand you the job. Three, you have to show us that you can make the team and, and produce the way that we we would like you to, to to be part of this roster. And, you know, there was, they looked at over 200 players across Europe, across North America in game situations. 
John Burke said, I don't want to watch players on video. Well, I mean, this is, this is, this, ha- this task is too important. So they went, like he said, he said he went to places in Russia that he didn't even know existed <laughs> to watch KHL games. And, uh, and the same thing with the Swedish league and the same thing with the Swiss league and some of the players that came from the AHL. I mean, they left no stone unturned. The miles, he, he didn't even want to try to figure out how many miles, airplane miles he, he piled on, uh, just, just scouting this team. So, so once they picked the team, once they selected the team, um, they, they were very uh, meticulous in the way they did that as well because um, with, with such a short time to get the team together, essentially they just played one exhibition game and had three practices before, before the first game together as a, full, as a full team. So they knew that they were going to have to get players that had played together, that they figured would mesh together on lines and somehow have a chemistry that could build over the first week of the tournament and then, and then once you get into the second phase where elimination is, is part of it, um, and be more of a team. So, so that part of it was, was very tricky as well. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, it was, it was a much more difficult uh, roster to put together than what the NHL uh, players version was because the hardest thing about the NHL version was both players to cut at the end. I mean, these yeah. guys had to, you know, had to, had to trust their instincts and they had to, they had to find a way to get some leadership. Um, that's why there's so many older players on the team. And then they had to try to find a way to find players to score. And if there's a weakness uh, roster-wise right now, it's you, you wonder where the goals are going to come from. And really, they're going to have to be spread out between the top three lines. And But anyway, the way that Burke put it all together, I thought, was, was, was pretty meticulous and pretty well-planned. And that was in consultation with the Hockey Canada gurus like Tom Rennie and, and Scott Salmon. And then they all had their influence and, and were involved in some of the, in some of the scouting. Then they handed over to Willie Desjardins, who's, 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 you know, a decent coach, has some NHL experience, but also has some international experience. He coached the world junior team and he's, and he, he's had some familiarity with, with the world game. But I think one of the most important moves that they made was to have Dave King as a, as a, as an assistant, because if there's anybody in this country that has seen anything in the game of hockey, whether it be professional or amateur international or international, it's Dave King. And, and I, just watching him work the bench in the, in, in the first game, I think that Dave King had a, had a very strong influence on, on the way that Willie Desjardins managed his bench and, and, the, and the way some of the players performed. It's funny, right? You, you mentioned off the top there, um, a lot of valid points in, in your little rant there. Up and off the top, you mentioned, you know, Rene Borg was told by Sean Berg, hey, if you get into a league, if you're playing good hockey, you'll be considered. The U.S. took a different approach where Brian Gianta wasn't playing hockey and he's named the captain of the team. Um, that doesn't mean that Gianta's going to have a poor tournament, but it's sort of a different philosophy. So I find that interesting, the contrast there. And also the way that Canada has put together this roster. You look around the tournament, and you see Rasmus Dahlin. Mind you, he's not playing much. He got scratched in the first game. Uh, I believe played uh, five minutes in the second game. Um, and actually, let me let me rant about this. With the Swedish okay. coach, so or let's say the Swedish uh, national program in general, you know, let's say you want to have a, a veteran team. Let's say that's your, your MO. Then don't take Dahlin in general. If you're going to take Dahlin, uh, Darlene, I guess I should call him by by his proper pronunciation. If you're going to take Darlene, then actually play him because I'm pretty sure you could ask you know a hundred hockey fans, a hundred hockey scouts, a hundred hockey coaches, and they'll say he deserves to be on the ice just as much as you know the other guy next to him, not playing five minutes a night. I, I think a lot of people uh, would agree with me when I say that 
Darlene, by all accounts, could probably play in the NHL right now and be okay. So why is he, you know, glued to the bench um, and age is being used against him? Because I have seen a couple quotes, and maybe they're out of context, but I have seen a couple quotes where the Swedish coach goes, hey, he's 17, uh, I don't know how much we're going to use him, blah, blah, blah. Well, then don't take him if you're not going to use him. If, if you're going to take him, use this stud, this guy who, you know, can run your power play, presumably, who plays against the men already and for Frolanda. What, you know, the, the age seems like an excuse. And if you want to go, you know, with the veteran angle, then, then just leave him at home. But anyways, that's my Darlene rant. Um, to get back to Canada, so uh, across the tournament, you see Sweden young players here and there. You see the Finns taking Eli Tolvanen, which was obviously a great choice. He has three goals, three assists so far in the tournament. You see the U.S. take the NCAA players. Jordan Greenway had a nice goal in the opener. There's others that have contributed. And then you get to Canada, and Christian Thomas is the youngest guy. He's 25, not exactly young by hockey terms, especially no. uh, in, in 2018. That's that's your prime, or or you know the middle of your prime. Um, so they they clearly took you know a, an approach that was we want guys who who have been through the ringer. We want guys who uh, there's no question marks about, and and we don't care where they come from. We don't care if they played in the NHL or not. Like like a Chris Lee or a Matt Robinson, two guys on the defense that played the most out of any player on Team Canada in the first game. So they clearly aren't looking at this roster and going, you know, we need young, we need, you know, guys who have, uh, you know, tons of NHL experience or have a really high ceiling. They just want the best players for this tournament. Well, it's interesting. They they actually considered uh, junior players. They just made a conscious decision not long after the World Junior uh, in Buffalo. And I'm, I'm sure you probably saw, you were there, John, in Buffalo, I'm sure, yep. I'm sure you probably saw Scott Simon and 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 Sean Burke, and they they were scouting that tournament fairly intensely, and ultimately they they came up uh, with a decision that they didn't want to bring the young guys, not because they were young guys, but because they worried that it would take young guys longer to get up to speed with the older guys and to be playing against men, and then, and then they felt that that was, they just didn't have the time. And the team was essentially gathering. January 25th or 26th, whenever they showed up in in Latvia to re- to, to uh, prepare, they didn't have the time to get to, to get up to speed that quickly. Now, Sean Burke also acknowledged that there was not a Connor McDavid or an Austin Matthews on the, on Team Canada in Buffalo. It was a of team of, of good players that played well and did well, but there was no standout. If there was a standout, they might have might have considered him. Now, they, I'm, I'm reasonably certain that it, had they brought a player like that up, they would not done what the Swedish coach did to Rasmus Dahlin, which is just a joke really, because you know, here here this tournament is is facing a lot of question marks and a lot of scrutiny because the NHLers aren't here. And one of the good feel good stories in it is a chance to see this kid. Um now you don't have to play him, but don't bring him here and don't tout him as the next guy and he's obviously gonna be the first pick overall and sit him on the bench play four minutes and change in in two games and not a not a second in a third period of tonight's one nothing win over Germany, by the way. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how they manage Dali and the rest of the way, but it's just uh, the, the Swedish coach is making a fool of himself, in my opinion. Yeah, I just I don't understand it. I don't know if we're, we're missing Makes something, no if, if there's some sort of Swedish reasoning behind this, but it all seems odd, like the reasoning behind it. Like, again, like I don't care if you're not going to bring Rasmus Dali and that's your loss, but if you bring him, you know, against Germany, how do you not have a chance to play him at least ten minutes? You know, give it, give us ten yeah. minutes. Um, 
Unless he's so, hurt, but there's no indication of that. Yeah, I guess there's that possibility, but you know, like you said, uh, it's not exactly showing. Um, no. With this Canadian team, uh, so you, you sort of mentioned in passing that the the weakness, we'll call it, is, is their, their lack of scoring punch, uh, at least on paper. But in the first game, it, it felt like we were transported back to, uh, I don't know, 2007, uh, Tuesday night in, in the NHL, and you're yeah. watching highlights, and, oh, there's Derek Roy collected three assists for the yeah. Buffalo Sabres. There's Rene Borg, you know, a couple screens on the power play, tips the shot, um, gets two goals. Maxim Lapierre, oh, look at him. He's a good penalty killer. Ben Scrivens has a mm-hmm. solid game. You know, Woltek, Wolski, I'm going down the list. Like, it, it was it was so many familiar names making an impact um, it, that you, you wonder, will this team be okay after all? Yeah, you know, it, I kind of felt, found myself feeling the same way. And, and you wonder, like, any of those guys that you just mentioned, any of these guys who have played, you know, north of 500 NHL games, I, I don't think that any of them could last and, and survive in a full 82-game NHL season now. The game's just too fast, and and, it's, and and it takes a toll on, especially on older players. How many skaters do we see uh, that, that are older than 30 years now? But nobody's asking them to be in tip-top shape and give everything they've got for eight, eight uh, months. They're asking them to be as good as they can for 13 days or whatever it is. And, and, and it's a, I think it's a lot easier to do that. Um, you know, uh, you know what the end game is. You don't have to go back to it. I mean, some of these guys will go back to their club teams in Europe. I, I fully expect that some will, some will go home as well. This is this is what they're in it for, and and it's a lot easier to give give your all in in, in a tournament that spans less than two weeks than have to worry about the rigors of an NHL season. And I wonder if that creates you know a sort of hockey version of a fountain of youth for some of these guys who mm. find it easier to find their legs than they were if they were back home playing in North American professional hockey. I wonder, too, how Canada's ultimately going to fare in this competition because you got to catch lightning in a bottle, and and you sort of hinted at it there that maybe these guys can over a two-week period. Um, you know, there's a reason why they're not in the NHL anymore. There's a reason why um, they're right. in various different leagues and, and performing to different um, levels of success. But... I, I if, if if I'm a Canadian fan, what I'm worried about is the Russians. We're literally uh, a team of three, uh, a team comprised of three different KHL teams. Like it's they're all one, one, right? Yeah, uh, Saint Petersburg is is more or less. I think yeah. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there's at least ten guys from that team. Um, Correct, and then yeah. CSKA and and then uh, one other team and. I know that I know they faltered in the first game, but they come back with an eight-two win, and Kolchuk looked very good with two goals and one assist. And I just, you, you, you know, the Russians are sort of the, the target, I think, and, and the team that that seems to uh, have have the structure, I guess you could say, or have you know less pressure, or uh, there's something about that team where where it seems like they could easily just you know walk on over a, a few teams on their way to the gold medal match, and then let's say they play Canada. And it just comes down to familiarity with with their teammates in in those tight, you know, high pressure situations. So uh, I, I still give the 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 edge to Russia in terms of favorites in this tournament. The first game obviously wasn't their uh, their hope, their 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 best start that they could have imagined. But I mean, it's hard to to bet against a team that 
is essentially um, an all-star team from the KHL. Yeah, I, I agree to a point. I mean, on, on class and talent and and, and the, the the trio of superstar uh, ex-NHL as they have, but the Russians are certainly the team to beat. But let's not discount the fact that these guys choke like dogs at the Olympics. I mean, they, they haven't got a medal in the last three or four, and they haven't won gold in forever. And what they did, what the Russian team did in Sochi was embarrassing. I mean, that team... That team was put together and designed and favored, and they were and, and they were there with the expectation to win over the. They were going to be the story of the tournament of the whole Olympic Games, and they and they, and they didn't even get a chance at a medal. So you have to figure that some of that is 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 in their heads, and I think we also can't discount the fact that losing that first game the way they did, that just opened everybody else's eyes, and it's, everyone came in here believing and thinking with fairly good reason that this is a, uh, is a wide open tournament mm-hmm. other than maybe giving a bit of an edge to the Russians. Well, the Russians go out there and lose their first game. Now, and now everybody that's playing in this thinks, Hey man, we got a shot at this. So um, are they favored? Should they win it? Yes. But I, I'm, I'm not going to hand them the gold medals just yet. Let's see them earn it. Yeah. The, I guess the good thing for Canada is that they're in the easiest group. Uh, they're in group A with, with obviously Switzerland, who they've already played, the Czech Republic, who they're playing tonight, and uh, South Korea, who they play on Sunday. And then, you know, the U.S. in Group B, they have to deal with Russia. Uh, the Finns in Group C, they have to deal with Sweden. So although it doesn't really matter because the winner of each group moves on to the quarterfinals automatically, I think there's something to be said for not exactly getting the stiffest competition uh, through the first three games. I, you know, I think especially, <clears throat> excuse me, especially – for a team like Canada, that's important because, uh, quite literally, they're they're working on getting better every day. So they'll they'll play a game, they'll go over videos as intently as they can, try and iron some things out in practice, and do it all again the next day. They realize that the team that they are today isn't a good enough team to win a medal here. But if they can improve rapidly over five or six days, um, then they might have a shot. And and as Willie Desjardins told me today, I mean, really, it's you know we do have to get better, and we're working hard at getting better every day. But when it all when it all comes down to an elimination game, it's it's a it's a sixty minute crapshoot essentially, and and you have to be ready to give not only the full effort, but to to have some belief and confidence in yourselves at that point that you can win a one off hockey game. So um, the format of the Olympic tournament helps uh, create for lack of a better expression, a, level, a more level playing field because any team, as we, we've seen with this bunch, can win on any given day. And you just have to be as ready as you can for those elimination games when they come. All right, well, let's talk about uh, the women's tournament. That is almost the opposite of the men's tournament because uh, there's a lot of certainty. There's a lot of uncertainty in the men's because no one really knows what's going to happen. There's a lot of teams, a lot of parity. Uh, but women's, it's Canada, U.S., as always. Um, Canada is already done its, its, uh, its prelims. They're 3-0. and uh, They outscored the opposition 11-2, to uh, including beating the U.S. Um, and, uh, you know, what it comes down to is that, that they're most likely going to meet the Americans in the final, and the Canadians have owned the Americans at the Olympics, winning four out of five gold medals, obviously, uh, the the women's tournament wasn't introduced until 1998, 
And uh, but the U.S. they seem to own Canada uh, in the World Championships, winning seven of the last eight titles. So there's something to uh, be said for that as well. Um, that seems to be my favorite phrase on this episode. Something to be said. Um, uh, you, you wrote uh, about the Americans' post-game comments after losing uh, 2-1 to Canada. Would you mind expanding on that and sort of if there was any uh, kind of uh, I guess uh, gamesmanship between uh, the two teams? Well, that was my 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 sense that there was game gamesmanship after the game. First of all, the intensity of a, of a Canada-U.S. women's game is is uh, is, is something to be, to see. Even though there was not a whole lot on the line, I mean, these teams play each other a lot, and and they play with 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 a fair degree of intensity. But when it's a game of, in the midst of the Olympics, it just changes a little bit. And there was there were some skirmishes, including one late at the end of the game in the Canadian crease when the Americans just failed to tie it up with their goaltender. And there were there were actual punches thrown, so you you could tell that the uh, the uh, intensity is really there, and and of course the Americans, being Americans, they come out afterwards and basically say, well, we put doubt in their mind because we outshot them, and that we and because we almost beat them. And it's like the Canadians are like, man, we've won the last five games against you now, going back <laughs> taking back to the series in December. We've won the last four Olympics. Yeah, we're really we're really in doubt here. I mean, this team is very confident and. You know, you know, you alluded to the fact that the Americans won seven of the last eight world championships, and that the Canadians win in in Olympic years. And and I wrote about this 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 week, this topic, this reason, and it it actually makes a lot of sense. The reason the Canadians are so successful in an Olympic year is that they report together twenty twenty five people or twenty eight people, I guess it was, before cuts on August first in Calgary, and they're together other than a short Christmas break until the Olympic Games and. And, and they played 45 games against various competition in that time. They practiced 35 times. They don't do that in a world championship year. They slap a team together a week before and, and, and hope for the best. And um, again, you, you know, going back to what you said earlier in the con- conversation about the the high, uh, hockey Canada excellence program, yep. it really, it really shows itself on the women's side. And and that's why. I mean, I still. I mean, it, it is it is a one one off, and either of these teams could beat each other, but. There's no way that the Canadians are lacking in confidence. They, this this is a really intriguing team to watch, John, because um, you know there's players are, are on this roster that are trying to win their third and fourth Olympic uh, gold medals, uh, 14 returning veterans, but there's also nine rookies. And these kids, like these kids, are built a little bit different than than what we're used to seeing in the women's game. They're fast, they're skilled, um, they're speedy, they're all over the ice, they're aggressive, and and it's really kind of fun to watch them as they've now got three games under their belt and, and are playing with some confidence. Sarah Nurse, who I think is going to be a star of the Canadian women's program for years to come, got the game winner the other day. And, and uh, Arena Fast is another speedy player. They just have a whole bunch of them. It's the next, we're seeing the next wave of Canadian women's hockey meet the, uh, the older wave of Canadian women's hockey. And, and it's been quite a perfect mix so far. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they did together since August. Yeah, no more Haley Wickenheiser, no more uh, Gina Hefford. No. Uh, I guess Megan Augusta, Marie Philip uh, Poulin are still there. But yeah, you, you've mentioned Sarah Nurse. She had that incredible shot against the Americans. Went over. I'm just picturing it right now in my head. Uh, yeah. Going over the, the shoulder of the American goaltender there, and that just was just sort of a snippet of what she can offer. Um, <laughs> it's it, it, it's almost it sounds it sounds like I'm exaggerating or or that I'm uh, kind of 
overhyping it, but the 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 women's final at the Olympics uh, between Canada and the U.S. that might be one of the best rivalries or or one of the top must-see TV events, I guess, of the Olympic cycle because it never disappoints. And you know, you you look across uh, just the Olympic platform, how many rivalries are this you know this deep? Because it goes from generation to generation. It's not you know. Lindsey Vaughn versus someone. It's not Sean White versus someone. It's, you know, it's not, I don't know, uh, Katrina LeMay-Known versus someone. It's it's team after team after team. They end up facing each other in the final. And in the lead-up to that, over the, you know, throughout the Olympic cycles, they face each other constantly. I just, there's something about uh, Canada-U.S. gold medal in women's hockey that almost seems like the premier event now at, at every Winter Games. Yeah, I I don't disagree at all, John. Um, our colleagues Keith Simmons and myself were discussing this the other day, and he wrote about it uh, quite eloquently. And, and I agree with his premise 100% that I don't know that in all of sport there's a better rivalry than uh, there is between the Canadian women and the American women for all sorts of reasons. I mean, you can look at men's hockey at Sweden and Finland, and that's that's got intensity. That's sort of uh, based a little bit on politics and geography, and, and we understand all that. And, and there's a geographical factor in in the Canada-U.S. rivalry with the women. But the main thing is there's only two nations in in, in all of women's hockey right now, unfortunately, yeah. for the sport. And it, it is getting better. But there really is only two nations that you could consider contenders. And, and they know it. Everybody around them knows it. And everybody knows that the tournament is essentially constructed now for those two teams to meet in the gold medal game. And I can't think of a final that it, that it hasn't delivered a, a classic. Certainly, the one in Sochi, where Canada rallied late and, and won in overtime, was as an amazing a hockey game you're going to see from any country and or any sex. It was just that spectacular. Um, and you know, in a lot of ways, it becomes a showcase of any Winter Games now. Although, interestingly, um, hockey is barely on the radar amongst the South Korean fans. All four or five games that I've been to so far. Are Fairly sparsely attended, but that's that, that. That won't take away from the from the enormity of the moment, if and when, and, and likely these two teams meet for the gold medal next week. Yeah, that's a. I'm glad you brought that up. What what's the atmosphere been like around the hockey rinks in general? Is it is it poor attendance that you're seeing, or is it more just like a lack of enthusiasm? Well, it's it's hard to say for sure. I mean, it's varied from game to game. Um, the Canadians, uh, the women, actually all five, four Canadian games that have been played so far are at the smaller of the two facilities, the Quendong Hockey hmm. Arena, they call it. Um, it, it it's capacity 6,000, and they're going to turn it into a uh, swimming pool when this is all over. So it's it's hard to it's hard to get the sense that it's uh, uh, that it's a real hockey place. So it's it's a nice enough arena, and the ice seems good, and all those kinds of things. But for the Canada U.S. game. Uh, when they met earlier in, in the round robin, um, it was in the afternoon, so that sort of com- compromised the attendance a little bit. But there was only there was only 3,800 people there, John, which is not what you would expect. Mm-hmm. Now, if they move over to the big arena, which holds 10,000, I would I would think that it, it would probably be full for the gold medal game, and and the atmosphere will be electric. But it's more it's more a situation that hockey isn't big here. Um, having said that. Uh, the Russian game today was was played in the big rink, and because uh, Russia isn't so far away, there was a pretty good content, contingent in there and a good atmosphere. So uh, it's it's not the jam packed arenas we saw in Sochi, 
and then Vancouver. But I think uh, once we get to the elimination phases, uh, we'll start to see better attendance and a better vibe at the at the hockey rinks. Okay, before I let you go, one last question, and you're not allowed to to say Chris Lee. Who is your favorite story, your favorite path uh, among the men or the women, just a hockey player on the Canadian side? Um, there's a lot of, of, of great background stories to, to these men and women. Which one stands out as, wow, I can't believe this person is playing at the Olympics considering where they were, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago? Well, I guess the Chris Lee one is the obvious one because he's one of the two players, as you alluded to, earlier that has never played in an NHL game and in his wildest of dreams uh, would never have uh, uh, been, been to an Olympics. In fact, we asked him yesterday if he's from McTeer, Ontario, which is in yeah. cottage country north of Toronto, of course, and, and somebody asked him if he knew of anybody that from McTeer that had ever been to the Olympics before, and he just said, no, probably not even to watch. So that was kind of a, <laughs> kind of a chuckle. But what, I mean, I, I tend to, this, there's so many good stories on the women's side that I, that I really like as well. Sarah Nortners, who I mentioned, I mean, her, you know, her, the family that she comes from, uh, cousins to uh, her cousins, Darnell Nurse of the Oilers, and, and the great basketball player, Kia, from the Yukon Huskies. She's in a, and I just see her as the future of the, of the game. But I, if I have to pick one player, one story that, that really stands out as, a, as an awesome one right now, it's, uh, it might be Megan Augusta, the forward, okay. the feisty forward for the Canadian women. Um, She's actually a, a constable with a Vancouver police department. She took a, a leave for a year to, to uh, embrace a, an actual profession after the last Olympics. And uh, with their encouragement, uh, she came back and, and, and joined their centralization program in, in August and, and, is, uh, and has returned here with, a, with, a game, with her game face on. Um, if they're successful, if Canada wins gold again, she'll join. The, the other threesome, Ouellette, uh, Hefford, and Wickenheiser is the only uh, three women to win four gold medals. She would win a fourth gold medal. That's incredible. But also, John, she's got two goals already in this tournament. She scores one more. She matches Haley Wickenheiser's record as the most goals by, by in, in the Olympics by a woman of 18. And, and, you know, when you think of the greats of Canadian women's women's hockey, the, name, the names I just mentioned are there. Cassie Campbell there, is there as well. But if Megan Augusta scores a couple more goals and this team wins a gold medal, then she's right there with the, the best women ever to play the game. Wow. Yeah, her story is something else, being, being a cop and and, yeah. and juggling those two responsibilities. I can't really imagine. Rob, thanks for joining me. Finally, we hooked up. Hopefully, the yeah. audio is, is uh, eligible uh, for, for publication. Uh, to follow Rob on Twitter, it's at Sport. And uh, all of his works at nationalpost.com. Rob, thanks again. Thanks, John. My pleasure. Time for bed over here. 